Hey everyone, this is episode number 244. You can see right here, we're actually now using Restream Live Studio to do the uh, live stream podcast. Uh, my name is Brandon Krieger. I am a cybersecurity account executive for Usado. Uh, today, I have the just a fabulous opportunity to meet with and to have a discussion with Dr. Cole, Eric Cole. Uh, just to read a little bit of his bio here for you, with more than 30 years of network security experience, Dr. Eric Cole is a distinguished cybersecurity expert and a keynote speaker who helps organizations curtail their risk of cybersecurity threats. Dr. Cole has worked with a variety of clients, ranging from Fortune 500 companies to top international banks to the CIA. He has been the, the feature speaker at many security events and also been interviewed by chief uh, here, chief media outlets such as CNN, CBS News, Fox News in 60 Minutes. I am so fortunate today to be able to have this conversation with Dr. Cole and just go through, you know, how, how's things going with cybersecurity? What have we been working on? What do we see? And we're really going to kind of jump into all different areas when it comes to cybersecurity. So grab a coffee, grab a tea, and let's hack at it. I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, USADO. USADO is a Canadian-based cybersecurity company that provides 24-7 cybersecurity support and compliance service that align their customers' tolerance for risk, their clients, suppliers, and government contractual mandates. USADO's teams focus on using insights to drive business decisions. There's no need to leave strategies to chance when insights can be used to show what changes need to be made and how to make them. USADO offers multiple services to help companies simplify IT, centralize cybersecurity management, and meet compliance standards. USADO can customize their service to work with your existing IT network and programs. For more information, contact USADO at info at uzado.com or visit their website at www.uzado.com. Oh, wow. It's going to be an amazing episode. Let me bring in Dr. Cole here. Dr. Cole, how are you today? I'm doing great, Brandon. How are you doing today? Pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm excited. I mean, there's a lot going on. So first, how are you doing through the pandemic? I, I'm doing good. I mean, I, I'm one of those folks that I always look at anything you can look as a good or a bad. It, it's just the story you tell yourself. The problem is never the problem. It's all of the emotion and BS you put around it. So to me, I just look at this as, do I wish it happened? No. Do I feel really bad for people that are being impacted by this, absolutely, but it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for me to revamp my business. It's an opportunity to look for new ways to help organizations and clients, and it's just a new opportunity to take my company to the next level. Now, what, what do you mean by next level? Talk, talk about that, because I know so many companies have transitioned through this, right? February, kind of late February, early March, a lot of us kind of went through the, oh my God, you know, we have to go from on-prem to remote, like overnight. Friday, I know in, in the GTA was like Friday, the government saying, oh, by the way, on Monday, you're going to close your business. And it was like, what? And they're, they're rushing through that. How did you change your business? What did you do through this pandemic? Uh, so a couple of things. One is, uh, and the one camera is not working, but I built out a studio because I recognized in March that everything was going virtual. 
So we, okay. we do expert witness work. Uh, trials are going virtual. Depositions are going virtual. With our CISO training, that's going virtual. With our assessments, it's going virtual. So I, I very quickly recognize that's going to be the new norm for the next three to five years. So I invested a lot in cameras, lighting, studio, and everything else to be able to support that. And then I went and basically switched all of our product offerings. So traditionally, we did in-person executive awareness. We did CISO training. I'm really big on security strategy. And we had 14 events planned, live events for 2020. And I'm one of those folks that you're not going to stop me. So I, I was going to continue, but when the hotels and, and basically you got shut down where you can't do that, we had to go in and very quickly switch to virtual style events. And, and once again, just instead of fighting it, just embracing, recognizing what the new normal is and then putting together measures to support that, but also recognizing that a lot of our traditional services like security assessments, risk analysis, that companies were so focused on survival and like you said, switching to location agnostic overnight in March timeframe, that they weren't really going to be focusing a lot on that. So I just went to social and put out a ton of free content, knowing that in first quarter 2021, when the dust settles and everyone wakes up, they're going to be like, crap, we basically destroyed our security model. Our whole architecture is gone. We have to come up with something brand new. We need help with cybersecurity. And I put myself in the position so we would be that company they call so we could take advantage and sort of level out, focus less on delivery and more on marketing in 2020. So in 2021, we can take off on delivery and less on marketing. So now with that being said, what are you finding that companies are approaching you with? Like what are some areas that they're going you know, Dr. Cole, I need you for X. What would that be? Uh, the main thing right now is uh, security strategy and leadership. Okay. Uh, so some people get upset when I say this, but it's, it's not meant as a negative. But to me, the problem, why we're having all these breaches, why we had uh, the solar wind breach, which I know we're going to get to in a little bit, why we have all these compromises, it is not because we're not spending money or we don't have the proper technology, it comes down to a fundamental problem in most organizations. There is not a security leader and the chief information security officer. They are not acting as an executive focusing on the business with an emphasis on security. In most organizations, the CISO is a promotional role mm -hmm. for a very smart, brilliant technical engineer. And to me, that's probably the biggest mistake on the planet because world-class engineers make terrible chief information security officers because a chief information security officer needs to be strategic. They need to be high level and they can't be technical focused. The question I always give my CISO test is this. If you get a text message on your phone that says there was a breach in our data center, what do you do? Okay. If your response is you run into the data center and you start looking at the logs, analyzing and figuring out what happened, guess what? You're a world-class security engineer. You're not a CISA. If right. your response is, I step back, I notify my team, I task my team to start investigating it, I then call up the CEO and give them a heads up, tell them what's happening at a non-technical level, at a strategic level, put together a strategy and get back to them in an hour, you are actually a CISO. So I'm really trying to help organizations put in proper cybersecurity leadership so there is the correct communication between the technical and the executives. So that's probably the big one. And the second one is redesigning their brand new architecture because the old architecture of having a robust 
network where you come into the office and you're behind all these security devices and you have on-prem servers that don't have public IP addresses, that isn't going to work. So we're redesigning the entire architecture of the future. Okay. I think you bring up a good point too. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, but what about, you know, CISO in that role? And I think that's great that you define that because I think it's a very different mindset when you get into that role, that executive role, and you have that conversation because they're thinking about revenues. They're thinking about business continuity. They're not thinking about what happened with the SIM, what happened with their firewall, what happened with that. That's down the road, of course, through the incident response plan and getting debriefed. But like you said, at that top level, they're thinking about the business. They're thinking about finances, revenue, informing the board of directors and the C-suite and getting the, their incident response plan in motion, right? It's not the point where, oh my God, the firewall, who got through the firewall, you know, what port was open, right? Where I think you're, you're talking about. And I think that's great to define it that way. Yeah. And, and, and I see that mistake. Like I, I was brought in to help coach a CISO and they had me sit in on one of their quarterly board meetings where the CISO does a 20 minute presentation and the CISO starts off and I mean, just geeking out. I mean, a 50 slide deck, which I'm like, that's a mistake. You have one slide and they're talking about the advanced threats and the new correlation analytics. And, and I mean, you could just see they're losing everybody about five minutes into it. The CEO stops him and says, I have a question for you. What is our business? Right. What business are we really in and how do we make money? And I'm just sitting there like dead man walking, right? Because because he, he couldn't answer it. And, and, and that's the problem we have today is we're taking these really smart technical people and we're giving them a CISO title and it's a disservice to them and it's a disservice to the organization. Now, was that guy, was he scrolling through the, the slides trying to find out which, which you know, out of the 50 slides, which had said this business does X? <laughs> well, well he, he was a smart guy. So what he tried to do is divert. So he went, well, 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 why don't we jump into this slide and let's take a look and I'll get there. And the CEO was like, no, answer the simple question. And, right. and he couldn't do that. And to me, when I coach and train CISOs, I'm like rapid fire test. Right. What is your name? Where do you live? What is your birthday? What business are you in? What differentiate you from the competition? You should be able to answer all five of those questions without even thinking. Right. And if you can't tell me what business you're in as quickly as you can tell me your name, then you are not thinking correctly like a CISO. Wow. That's good. I mean, I want to know, like anyone that's watching, if you guys have any questions, that we got the chat box, so then you can ask Dr. Cole any questions. But I'd love to know anyone that's watching this, where do you sit on that questionnaire? Like, where do you, are you sitting there going, oh my God, what's my birth, date of birth? Are you sitting there going, yeah, what's, what's my business, right? I think that's very important for us to kind of be able to evaluate and go through is have that, have that defining thing where you can say, this is the, all these questions, boom, 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 right? And be able to, like you said, what is our business? How do we make revenue? How do we protect it? Like all those things that as a CISO or even a senior level executive, all those guys know that, like the CFO, the CEO, the CISO, the CISO, CISO, like all of them have that mindset, especially at that level. So that's, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. yeah. And, and like I said, so, so people get annoyed with me, but to me, the primary job of a CISO is to make the company money and increase their profitability. Right. And now they do that through security. Right. And just like a CFO does it through finances and a COO does it through operations. But we have to remember, if you have a C in your title, if you're a chief, and you're one of the top five or six executives in the company, you have to recognize your primary number one job as a chief executive in a company 
regardless of what letters follow, is to make the company money and to be as profitable as possible. Right. And then would, would there be another aspect that would protect it? Uh, of course, you, you do that through cybersecurity. But, but the switch here is old school cybersecurity is you tell people no, you impact the business, you don't care about the business, you do whatever is necessary to secure the enterprise. And if it disables the business or hurts the organization, who cares? Right. And to me, the successful systems and the way I always look at security, it's a business enabler. Okay. When you're making decisions, your decision should enable the business to be more secure and make more money. So it's both of those together. But if you ever have a situation where it's, are you really enabling the business to be as successful as possible? And that answer is no, then whatever decision you made isn't going to be the right decision for that organization. So give me, can you give me an example? What would be a business enabler when you're specifically about cybersecurity? Uh, so, so, so I'll give a great example uh, with the architecture of the future. So, so right now with, with COVID, I, I always like asking people, I always ask CISOs and CIOs this. I'm like, so how many new offices did you open this year? Right. And they're like, Eric, we closed offices. We, we shut down our offices. We didn't open up any new offices at all. And I'm like, how many employees do you have? And they're like, 20,000. And I'm like, are they all working from home? Yes. Were they previously working from home? No. Guess what? You opened up 20,000 new offices this year. And, and the light goes on and they're like, oh, yeah, we didn't view it that way. So what we did in opening up these 20, 30 or 40,000 remote offices is we essentially allowed an infrastructure that was set up probably by a non-technical person, their wireless home network that's not very secure. Right. And in a lot of cases, because people left and didn't know they weren't coming back, they're using home computers that have four terabyte hard drives that aren't patched, aren't up to date and not secure. That's a huge problem when you look at the sheer amount of data. So right. we look at clients saying, okay, the number one problem in most organizations is uncontrolled data. The okay. second biggest problem in most organizations is uncontrolled endpoints. And the biggest and the third biggest problem that we have today is we've lost our infrastructure within the office. So what solution can we come up with to be a business enabler to solve all those issues? And what we're doing for most of our clients now is giving everyone at home thin clients. So okay. now they have a small device that doesn't have a hard drive. And now every time they boot up their system, it goes out and gets a brand new operating system. So now every day you get a brand new operating system, guess what? Solves patch management. Now if you get infected with malicious code, you're infected for two hours, not two years. And now all of your data is centralized in the cloud where you can manage it, not on the endpoint. So that's a perfect example where we're increasing the security, right. we're increasing the functionality, we're increasing the benefits of the organization. And that's a great example of what a business enabled solution looks like in cybersecurity. Wow, that's awesome. That's great. And I wonder how many people like uh, you guys watching this, if you guys want to comment, you can ask Dr. Cole any questions, but also how many of you guys did that exercise and went through that? We're able to look at the business enablers and kind of look at how you're going to increase the business, you know, revenue, functionality, and how it works through this pandemic. It'd be really interesting to see the, any of you cybersecurity people that have that question. So Dr. Cole, so we're going through a lot of things right now. Looking at FireEye, Sandal, uh, SandalWinds, what's your thought, or SolarWinds, what's your thought on that? Like, what, what did you see when it first came out? What's your thoughts on it? My thoughts is this. I, I have a friend, Mike, who's a great guy, but Mike drinks probably four or five glasses 
of whiskey a night. Okay. And he's been doing this for three years. And he calls me up six months ago and he goes, Eric, I just went to the doctor and I have liver problems. And I'm like, really? You, you, you're, you're surprised that you have liver problems when, when you had such poor practices for so long, right? And, and I guess I'm the same way here where, I mean, the, the government, other entities, I mean, these software companies, they have failed audits. We have been telling them that this is problematic. We've been telling them these issues. We've laid out a basic premise of uh, asset inventory and patching and critical. And then this type of thing happens and everyone is like so shocked. And you have these security professionals going, oh my God, this is, this is so surprising. I'm like, really? I mean, people are really surprised this happened. The, the details uh, haven't come out yet, but but I will tell you, I've worked a lot of these breaches and, and I will almost guarantee to you that it came down to there was servers that was accessible from the internet that were missing patches that contained critical data and access to inventory systems. And that's how this compromise occurred. I, I can almost guarantee it. And to me, once again, not trying to downplay with all of the data, but I think we have to be really careful here because they're coming out and they're telling us, we don't know all the details. We don't know exactly how it happened. We're still working the incident response, but somehow we are 100% sure that it's an advanced nation state attack that came from a foreign, and I'm like, but wait, if you don't know how it happened, right? How do you, so, so, so I, I feel like we, in a lot of these cases, when we don't know the details and in a lot of situations, it, it's because we have ignored things for a while right. that it's easy just to say, oh, it's an advanced nation state attack. There was nothing we really could have done about it and, and run a lot of this fear. But in my experience, a lot of these nation states are using very simple methods and techniques because we're not fixing the fundamental areas of patching, configuration management, encrypting data, and protecting our critical information. So I'll be interested to see how this plays out. But my guess is it's not the attack itself is not as advanced as everyone would like to believe. Okay. Now, is there a relationship when they call transitive trust where because you trust, so like I'm the client, say a FireEye, I trust FireEye. So FireEye uses SolarWinds. So I don't test, test myself as company A, SolarWinds, because I trust FireEye. Are we running to that transitive trust? I blindly trust other applications and solution providers because of our MSSP or solution providers? Absolutely. It's a little different twist than most people when they think about supply chain mm -hmm. management, supply chain security. But to me, that's exactly what this is. This is a supply chain issue. That, that you're, you're getting supplies from vendor X, who's getting it from Y, who's getting it from Z. And instead of breaking in to the, the company, you break into the backend supply chain and then you get access to all of those different areas and functionality. The, the one thing I will say that, that was very advanced about the attack is instead of going in and trying to break into each organization, you do your research and you say, what do they all have in common? SolarWinds Orion. So what do you do? You break into them and then that instantly gives you access to all of those. But once again, this is, I mean, I've been teaching this stuff in the 90s, 2000. I mean, even in 2000, we were talking about segmented architectures and we were talking about one of the rules of firewalls is all connections externally must go through a firewall. So if you're going in and allowing connections from a vendor 
SolarWinds or anyone else, why weren't those segmented? Why weren't those isolated and VLAND and filtered? So, so I, I feel like we have the solutions out there, but companies are just not following these solutions. And now we're paying the price for not following Security 101. But mm-hmm. like I said, we don't know the details, but I've worked enough of these cases. I, I, I take a gamble on what happened, as I said. But, but to me, it's just if we do the fundamental things that aren't hard, segmentation, isolation, and things like that, it, it solves a lot of these problems or at least controls a lot of the damage. So yeah, I mean, you have the education behind you, right? This is a very educated guess, right? Because you've done with the, all these different scenarios and different compromises. You're like, it's pretty high. It's this, right? So because of your experience, of course. Right. And, and remember, we always, if you're going to rob a bank, there's only so many ways you can do it, right? It's not an infinite number of solutions. You go in the front door, you go in the back door, or you blow the wall off, right? I mean, there's, there's only a couple of options here. If you're going to break into a company, it's either an insider where you, you paid and hire somebody to work within the organization, or you target an individual via typically phishing scams to click or get access, or you target a server that's externally visible that's missing patches. I mean, pretty much that now you can have subcategories of all of those, but if you're really looking at the source and how breaches happen, it's really going to be segmented into one of those three main categories. Right. And that, that totally makes sense. I mean, like you said, there's only so many ways that you can, you can access these environments this way. Right. So it's interesting looking at this now, like what is our, our landscape right now for the security attacks and threats? Like has, has it completely changed? Uh, it, it, it's enhanced and escalated. Okay. So, so, so I'll, I'll explain. So we always knew that one of the, if you're going to break into an organization and let's just take out the true planted insider, like where we go in and we get somebody to work at a company or we pay somebody who works at the company a hundred thousand dollars to plant malware. So, so that, that's sort of a different category and beast. We'll take that off the table. But if you're going to break into an organization, you have to find a target and exploit a weakness. Right. That's pretty much hacking 101. So there's only two targets. There's individuals and their servers. Right. Those are going to be the only two ways in. With individuals, we knew the two most dangerous apps are email clients and web browsers. So phishing attacks were always a viable method to get in. Right. Now, for phishing attacks to work, you have to go in and find something where people are emotional, they're not logical, and they're going to click before they act. Right. I think that's probably one of the best definitions we could say of the COVID, right? It's, I mean, people are very emotional and irrational about it. And I can guarantee, and this is what I mean by enhanced, I could take a group of executives and I can spend 30 minutes with them, giving them awareness, telling them about phishing threats, and even giving them specific examples. But if they walk out of that meeting and five minutes later, they're at their computer and they get an email that says COVID outbreak at your student's school and actually has the name of your student's school. And it says five students at your child's school tested positive for COVID. Click this link to see if your child was in close contact with that individual. I can guarantee they're clicking on that link, even though they just came out of awareness and we told them not to because their family and kids come first. They're emotional, they're scared, they're fearful, and they're going to click. So we have given the adversary sort of the perfect framework for them to exploit and take advantage of individuals. And then on the server side, 
We've had our systems that were either uh, in private clouds or in uh, non-public IP addresses, isolated and not visible from the internet. But now because everybody has to work from home and not every company had VPNs and the proper architecture, we literally overnight took a lot of these servers and either gave them public IPs or threw it into the cloud very quickly without the proper security. And now we've created huge targets on the server and huge targets on the client. And once again, we don't know the details of solar winds, but my guess is this attack was probably happening for at least a year or two before they detected it. And probably was pre-COVID, but, but just all of the changes with COVID probably contributed or made it even easier for the adversary. Wow. Yeah. Cause I think I was reading an article they were talking was like, they were patching this back in like March of 2020. Right. So this was already patching. They were fixing and they're kind of trying to get a hot fixes for that. But again, how it rolled out, it just, it just escalated and escalated to the point where there was a massive breach. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I wouldn't give the caveat if I wanted everyone just to think I'm this brilliant visionary that can predict the future, but, but, but I will guarantee in the next three months that two things are going to happen. One, they're going to come out and tell us that this breach happened in 2017. Okay. Because most of these are two or three years and they just didn't detect it. So eventually we're going to hear over the next couple of months that they were compromised for two or three years. And then the second thing you're going to hear is the amount of data and the impact was five times worse than what they're saying right now. It, it was a lot worse and a lot damaging because they don't know what they don't know right now. Right. And they were able to catch it and they see visible. But when you start digging in, you're going to realize, oh, they were here and here and here. So, so I can guarantee that the time frame is going to be extended and the damage is going to increase by a multiple of five because that's always happens in these cases. And then the other thing, which 95% is going to happen, is before all of this information of the real details of the attack come out, the executives of those companies are going to sell off 80% of their stock. That, that's, that, that's the other thing that always happens is, is there's always this coincidental where the stock gets sold before the truth comes out, right? Always, uh, always makes you wonder a little bit on that one. Once again, I'm just basing it on historical data, but right. historical data is a really good predictor of the future. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, you always look at the past and predict the future, right? Just to understand how things cycle, right? I mean, I always talk about fashion, how you look at the cycles keep coming back, right? You know, bell bottoms, things like that, different hairstyles always come back. Well, you look at, you know, incidents from us, you can see a human habit of how things react from an incident, right? So it's interesting that you talked about, like, even though with the social engineering, how you can put someone in an emotional state and they'll remove the logic. Like you said, they just finished cybersecurity awareness training. And they'll remove the logic because now it's they're in an emotional state to react. Oh my God, is my child on that list? You know, did they get COVID? Do I have to go get them? What's what's the protocol? Logic shuts off, emotion goes, and they just react, right? Exactly. So so what I what I train people now is because telling somebody not to click on a COVID link, they ain't gonna follow it. Right. But what we've done is we've looked at over four hundred and seven different variants of malware associated with COVID phishing attacks. And what's interesting is 100%, not 90, not 95, 100% of them target a Windows operating system. And it's not because Windows is more vulnerable, it's because it has a larger install base. Most malware we've detected in previous years was about 88% Windows. So the fact that this is 100% Windows is very interesting. So what I tell my friends, family, and I even do, is any email, when you're checking email or surfing the web, 
I always do it from a non-Windows device. I have an iPad that I carry with me. And all I do is check email and surf the web on the iPad. And then my Windows computer, where I do all my assessments, my working, my clients, my finances, I never check email and I never surf the web. So to me, we have to create solutions that fix the problem that are technically based, not tell people don't click. So now if your executive has an iPhone or an iPad or even an Android and you've trained them always check email on those devices, not only is none of the current malware we've seen going to work on it, but even if it did, there's no critical data or critical information. So that's another example of a business enabled solution where executives will absolutely use their iPad and iPhone. But if you tell them not to click, they're going to ignore you. Interesting. Now, what about, and I've, I've heard about this, this aspect too, is to do the four, four breathing before you do that, to calm, calm down your sympathetic and your, your parasympathetic state. So you actually get back kind of grounded before you start to react. Oh my God, this is going my son, my child. And you, they got to breathe, you know, do force. And then now look at it and you look at kind of more fresh eyes. Have you heard that? I, I did, and, and I'm a big, a big fan in in focus, grounding, breathing methods, and that kind of stuff. But but my problem with that is that that's not going to work for most people. Okay. I mean, if if you have your child and, and your child has had some breathing issues and is high risk for COVID, and you're sitting at the computer and an email pops in that says uh, five kids in your child's class tested positive for COVID. When Mama Bear and Papa Bear kick in, and it's about protecting your kids, I don't know many of them that are going to sit there and going to go, right? They're going to be like, screw, I want to, and they're still going to do that. So not a bad technique, but I just, with human nature and how humans operate and perform, I just don't see that as scalable. To me, if you just build the habit that I always check email on this. I always do it. I never check email on this device. You even uninstall the client so it's not there and you just always do it. Now it's a habit you always do it, but you've created a positive habit that reduces and minimizes the risk. Right. Okay. No, I mean, that makes sense. I get, I get when you're looking at using the technical tools available to you to be able to mitigate at least some sort of malware or risk. So, you know, I totally get it. I just was thinking on the side of the stress hormones too. When people, like you said, Make decisions out of emotion, right? They're kind of going and they're, they're jumping to it. That's, I got to do this right now. I got to do this right now. And they click and all of a sudden, now the malware installs. And they might not see it or they might even not know for months, six months to a year that something got installed. But then when you do a forensic investigation, they follow back to, remember that time in you know, December 1st, you clicked on that email? Well, guess what? You're the cause of that malware going through. And then the ransomware you know, launched you know, three, six months later. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, but, but you're spot on. I mean, that, that, that's really good advice on social media, email, web surfing. Before you click post or send anything, take a breather, go for a walk. Don't ever do it in an emotional state. I mean, I, I've seen friends and family members post some of the most ridiculous, obnoxious things on social media. I've seen coworkers send some of the most inappropriate emails that afterwards they look at going, why did I do that? But because they were in that emotional state, they weren't thinking correctly. So yes, if you can train yourself, and I do the same thing, if I get an email or anything that triggers me, I literally have trained myself to take the hands off. I go for a walk outside. I don't care if it's raining. I go for a walk outside. I clear my head and I come back and say, okay, 
what are some reasons why this person did that and what's a reasonable response but like you said you take yourself out of the emotional state and that is that, that that's what attackers go after and it sort of rhymes with one of my favorite sentences i have a big poster in my office and this is how i live my life i've lived all my businesses that i've built and sold is let factual data drive decisions and not emotions okay. and i would say if you're a CISO, a security professional anybody if you could live by that law of letting data, factual data, drive your decisions and not emotions, you're going to have an amazing life. Completely changes, huh? Yeah. Wow. I mean, a lot to take in and good advice, good recommendations on kind of how to manage your own kind of state as well as, you know, the technology of phishing. I mean, we're hearing the increase of that since COVID from the American election to COVID, like in all the vaccine now, I'm sure like it's just phishing attack after phishing attack because- People are emotional about this right now and everything that's going on. I mean, I even think that there was one with the Black Lives uh, Black Lives Matter, right? They're all kind of like, you know, hot topics, very important. But, you know, all these criminal aspects, what they're doing is they're taking advantage of that because they know people are, they want to know, they want to be engaged. Exactly. And like even you said with that, anything that's going to get people emotional, there were a lot of versions of the video of a lot of the uh, activity that happened in this country where that when you clicked on the link to watch the video, it actually had malware that installed on your system. So these attackers and adversaries are really smart. Anytime, any place, anywhere, people are emotional, people are very concerned, people are very uh, sort of not, not thinking straight, they're going to take advantage of that. And to me, the other piece of this that everyone is missing that also is playing into, I think, a lot of what happened in 2020. When I worked for the government and I study a lot of different techniques, do you know the number one method of torturing people in prison is solitary confinement? If you want to go in and break somebody, if you want to get them to confess or break, it's not waterboarding, it's not any of that stuff. You put somebody in solitary confinement for five days and they are on the board of mental insanity because humans are social beings and we need to be interactive look at what this country did or what the world did we basically put everyone in solitary confinement and to me we made a lot of people mentally unstable and i think that's one of the big contributors to not only the unrest that's in this country is this mental instability, but this is tying in directly to cybersecurity, people making really bad decisions because they were in solitary confinement, an unstable state. And we're now starting to see all of this unsurface. And to me, the solar winds is the tip of the iceberg. Right. Over first quarter, I actually got this one wrong. I said first quarter of 2021 that we're going to see four major breaches like we've never seen before. And this one uh, actually came out three weeks early. So I was three weeks off on my timing. But to me, this is just the beginning of the craziness that we're going to see in cybersecurity. Well, I mean, you predicted that. I mean, have you been keeping – now, I want to ask you about like fake news here because I mean, we're talking about you know the solar winds and FireEye. What's your thoughts on like kind of the fight, like the fake news that you see – you know, oh my God, you're going to be hacked by this Russian, you know, hacker, you know, and he has a hood on, he's in the keyboard, he's, he's coming after you. And then you see also in the media and CNN grabs it and runs with it and, you know, everyone's getting scared. What's your, what's your idea? Like, cause you work with a lot of the media channels, you work with a lot of information. What's your thoughts on that? So, so to me, when you look at advanced threats 
and foreign adversaries, to me, what makes them advanced is their persistence. Like they will target an organization. And once again, we don't know the details, but it wouldn't surprise me if they were targeting solar winds for two or three years, waiting for the right opportunity to come in and waiting for the exploitation. And they were in their systems for two or three years before it was detected. But what I found is these advanced adversaries aren't using advanced methods to break into systems. If we go back and look at all of the major breaches that were out there, we look at the 500 million records of the hotel chain that that was breached a couple of years ago, what caused it? They had servers from a previous acquisition they weren't aware of that was visible from the internet. It contained missing patches and it contained critical data that was encrypted, but the key was stored on the server itself. That's how the attack occurred. You go back to almost any one of these attacks that we're calling advanced nation state attacks, and almost every one of them are servers visible from the internet, missing patches, not configured, containing critical data that's not properly protected. So to me, these are absolutely the current version of attacks that are out there are absolutely preventable. Now, all attacks aren't. You're never going to be able to prevent all attacks if you have functionality. But the current attacks that we're seeing are not as advanced. But I, I will tell you right now, if I go in and I'm on one of the major media channels and I go in and say, oh, the attack wasn't that advanced. It was pretty straightforward. It was preventable. They're not going to ask me back because right. we would chat before the show. And the, the media's whole idea is they want to get people excited, upset. They, I mean, saying it's an advanced integrated attack from Russia and China, country X, country Y, that strategically targeted the United States and slipped under the radar and Tom Cruise mission. Upon, I mean, people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. But the, the problem is, to me, that's a lot of the fun because, listen, if you're a company and you get compromised, what's going to sound better for your shareholders and your customers? Option A, it was an advanced integrated attack vector that was targeting us for so many years and it was just so integrated, there was no way we could have withstood it. Or option B, yeah, there were servers visible from the internet that weren't patched for three years and we didn't protect our data correctly. And this was absolutely avoidable if we did asset inventory and configuration management, but we failed to do the foundational items. Right. Which story are you going to, right? So so they go with option A, but unfortunately, in a lot of these cases, and I just want to emphasize, because I do know people at the companies that were impacted, I do not know the details. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But looking at uh, my 30 years in this space and the seven years of historical data on what we're calling advanced threats, what I found is in most cases, they're not near as advanced as people want to think they are. Right. And going back to the media, when you hear that, you know, option A, option B, option A, you're transferring liability. It's someone else. Option B is, yeah, I messed up. I didn't I didn't do my due diligence and due care because, yeah, I knew that we were not patched and we didn't follow our patch management program. So I think there's also that. And then when you like the media, the sense of, you know, when you're centralizing kind of media, it's for ad revenue. It's for views. It's for people to, you know, watch your 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 publication, because I, I did this exercise, I remember with uh, when I was in Holistics, they said, watch the news and tell me how many, you know, heartfelt, you know, positive stories you you find in the news in the next week. I was like, one. Yeah. Well, what was the rest of the news about? Doom and gloom. The yeah. world's going to end. This is going to happen. You know, we're going to go to war. You know, it's all just like doom and gloom. And you're like, why? Like, why is it so? But that's what gets people to come out to the news. 
Right? You can't say, oh, another puppy got saved and, you know, this child, you know, look at a lot child laughing and playing and, you know, oh, look, we have, we built another park and everyone's happy now. People are going to go, oh, so what? Like, okay, fine. But, oh, the park, you know, had a, a gunman that run through. Hold on, hold on. Let's watch that. What, what happened? What, what's going on? And you scare people when you put them in that state. Like we talked about this earlier in the show. It's just getting that emotional state of people reacting, right? Exactly. And the other thing is the, the media doesn't really understand or think that the public really likes cybersecurity. So right. when they do finally cover a story, because there were a lot of breaches over the last three months, and I will tell you every media station I have contacts with said, Eric, if it's not focused on the election, COVID, or uh, injustice, we're not covering it. I mean, right. it's, it wasn't even covered. Now, I did see briefly that the solar winds breach and stuff is getting a little coverage on the media, but two things to watch out for. Just watch the media for three hours, and I can almost guarantee that 5% is covered solar winds, and then the rest is going to be the election and everything else. And then this is the other prediction I've seen. By end of this week, in three days, they're not going to have a single mention on solar winds, even though it's impactful, even though it's damaging. After 48 to 72 hours, it's a non-issue. Yet, we're still talking about COVID from March. We're still talking about the election from three weeks ago. We're still talking about uh, events that happened six months ago. But for some reason, with cybersecurity, the media just doesn't like covering it and covering it correctly because I think they don't think the uh, interest is there and it's one and done and people forget about it. Next week, no one's even going to know solar winds or know that it happened yet. Things that happened six months ago, the media is still going to be covering. Right. No, it makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense because everything kind of just dies off, right? And whatever is the new next news story that's going to hit is going to come out. I mean, I know here we're hearing about all the vaccine, the vaccine, right? Where is that going to be? So looking at that for 2021, what's your prediction for Q1 and Q2 when it comes to cybersecurity? Uh, so, so one is I think a lot of companies are going to start waking up mm-hmm. to realizing, okay, we survived. We, we, we made it through 2021. To me, the, the end of a year and the starting of a new calendar year, January 1st is a good mental road uh, reset for people. Even though they should have did it in October, they were still worried and the vaccine and stuff. So I think early January, you're going to see companies go, hmm, we, we probably need to check our security. We probably need to get an assessment done or a health check and, and do that. And then they're going to start designing location agnostic solutions, which they should have been doing. I was deploying in 2018 and 2019, the agnostic solution, which is this, all of your data is in a hybrid cloud. You have a front end public cloud that's a robust authentication layer that has two factor certificates and location validation. And then you have thin clients on the endpoint. To to me, that's the architecture of the future. And you're going to start seeing clients in uh, Q1 of 2021 start realizing that having four terabyte hard drives and endpoints and trying to manage and control the data and applications aren't going to cut it. So I think this is going to finally be the huge breakthrough we needed for companies to aggressively move to the cloud, thin clients, and companies really start focusing and protecting on their data. And then, and then the other one I think you're going to have, if I have my way because I keep preaching it, is that companies are going to start reassessing their CISO position and really start training and putting proper CISOs in place and rewarding. (coughs) To me, if you're a world-class security engineer, 
there's no reason you should be getting paid equal or more than a CISO. So it, it's not about compensation or anything else, but world-class security engineers, guess what? Should be security engineers, right? right? They shouldn't be CISOs. If you're a world-class wide receiver, you shouldn't be playing quarterback. You should be staying in your position. But, but, but I feel like we have in security that if we did the analogy with football, that the only way to get promoted would be to become a quarterback. So wide receivers, running backs, linemen are all trying to become quarterbacks just so they can get promoted. And as we can imagine, that would be disastrous. So we need to break this trend and say there's two career paths. There's a security engineer career path and there's a strategic career path. They are separate. Now, can you jump? Absolutely. I know some really good security engineers that made a mental shift. They went through training like mine and got the strategy piece and they're amazing. And there's some that jumped and kept the technical piece, right? And they're not very successful. So we need to recognize there are two different career paths. Okay. No, that's good to know. And get to uh, advise people that are watching this, that they're actually do train and you do help them educate on what's needed to be a CISO and also help them bridge the gap. Now for CISOs, do you think there's a, a challenge with having a lack of those resources available? And that's why they're, taking the engineers and moving them over to the, the CISO because they just don't have the qualified people to do it? Yeah, I, I think it's twofold. One, I don't think there's enough CISOs out there. Okay. With, with all of the job surveys I see, they, they never really clearly break down CISO separately. They always sort of put it within other groups. But I think one of the biggest gaps over in any technology are strategic thinkers in cybersecurity. So I think that's problem one. And I think problem two is a lot of security engineers believe that they deserve the CISO title and they should have the CISO. So it's almost one of those you have an engineer for 12 years and they're like, listen, if you don't give me CISO, I'm going to leave. And the company doesn't want to lose them. So they'll give them the CISO title just to appease and make them happy. And that's just that that they're going to be unhappy in a CISO or they're not going to be effective. Because right. if you're a world-class engineer, you are not going to be happy attending the board meetings, thinking strategically and hanging up your technical hat. So I think it's, it's both of those pieces that need to be fixed and addressed. But, 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 but one of my favorite things is we do some uh, advertisements for my CISO training and certification, and somebody posted to it and going, this is BS. Right. You can't learn to be a CISO in six months. The only way to be a CISO is to be a security engineer for 14 years and get promoted. And I'm just like, that is the problem. You absolutely can learn any skill, including a CISO. It's not something you need to do. And to me, if you've been a security engineer for 14 years, you've built up so many bad technical habits that your probability of being a world-class CISO is probably minimal to low. What I find is people that have worked in security for four to five years, they have some business degrees or minors. Those typically make the best CISOs because they understand security, they understand business, and they realize they're going to have to make a shift. But when you're doing the same thing for 10 or 12 years as a security engineer, it's going to be really, really hard to change those old habits. Well, I think, like you said, it's a mind shift, right? Because you really have to think business first, and you, you, you have to let go of the technical. I mean, it's interesting. Don't get me wrong. But you have to think of like forecasting, budgetary numbers, you have to think of supply. Like there's the whole business acumen you have to go through. And a lot of these guys that are on the technical path maybe have done that back in university, but now doing it now, it might be 10, 15, 20 years 
you know, and that now they have to dust that all off again, where they've been day in out seven days a week technical. So I think there's that, that, like you said, that shift to bring back that now you're putting on that business hat and you have to have business discussions, understanding how the business relates to technology, not how the technology relates to the business. Bingo. Exactly. So, and, and, and like you said, a lot of security engineers, when I do vCISO work, now I train because it's more scalable. When I was CISO and vCISO, I spent 15% of my job looking at balance sheets, looking right. at profit and loss statements. Because the bottom line is, if I don't know where and how the company is making money, how can you determine what an appropriate budget is? Right. And I always have, have technical people going, that's inappropriate for a CISO to do that. I'm like, wait a second. What's the appropriate budget for a company? Is a million dollars an appropriate budget? Well, it depends. Mm -hmm. If the company's only making 500,000 in profit, a million dollars would be ridiculous. Right. But if the company's making 500 million in profit, that would be appropriate or maybe a little higher. So if you don't know the financial numbers, how in the world can you determine how much or how little to spend on cybersecurity? And to me, that's the problem out there. And once again, a lot of people initially get angry when I say this, but I think the other issue is these companies have way too much technology. Well, right. One of the things we need to do is, because here's the, here's the other issue. You have all this technology in place and they're generating alerts and they're going to say, we caught the attack. We caught the attack. But here's the issue. They were generating so many alerts. They were generating 20,000 alerts a day and your team can only handle 200. Right. If your team can only handle 200 and you're generating 20,000, you're going to lose. The only right. solution is reduce the tech and generate 200 or hire more people. Well, guess what? You're not going to be able to hire more people. So we need to simplify to only alert on the most critical vulnerabilities so our staff can attack them. But right now we have so many false positives. We're missing the forest through the trees. Right. And I think that's where, you know, knock on what a lot of these new technologies are coming out with AI right, and machine learning that they're able to decipher what is false positive, false negative. Then you have all these tools that are able to look at that and narrow that down to now getting the real 200 Versus, like you said, having a thousand, two thousand alerts per day when they're like, I don't know, these are all critical, right? You know, which one are we supposed to look at first? And then you have the security analysts, you know, level one, level two, and them trying to research that. And then, oh, guess what? That's Monday. What about Tuesday? And what about, you know, Wednesday and Thursday? There's no way. They're just, it's a uh, losing battle. Yeah, exactly. So now, is there anything that you wanted to talk about, Dr. Clay? I know we're coming to a lot of great information. Was there anything that you're like, here's some, uh, like a real good tip, technique, strategy, gold nugget that you wanted to share with the, the people that are watching? To, to me, to me, the big one is that most of the items we did about using a non-Windows device for checking email, the role of the CISO, the thin clients, the new architecture design. But, but the last one I would really push out there, because I think it's another big problem out there, is in most organizations – the business folks, the vice presidents and managers of all the business units, they have all of the authority to make whatever decisions they want. And the CISO or security has all of the responsibility. So I, I've seen cases, and you've probably seen it, where the CISO is like, don't do it, don't do it. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And they do it anyway. And the CISO tells the executive team, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do it. They do it anyway. And then a breach happens, and what occurs? They fire the CISO. Because right. the CISO is responsible. So we, we need to do a better job of shifting that responsibility. If they're willing to accept the risk 
that we're not, that's above our threshold for the company, we need to transfer that risk over to them and make them both responsible and have authority. And to me, the way you do that is by training everyone to ask a second question. Most business leaders, when they make questions, when they make decisions, they ask one question. What is the value or benefit? Right. What is the value or benefit to the business? And if there's a value or benefit, they're going to make that decision. But what we have to remember is just like the law of gravity, the law of security states very clearly, and it's always true. Whenever you're adding functionality, you're always decreasing security. Whenever you're adding functionality, you're always increasing the risk. So what we need to do is train them to ask a second question. What is the value or benefit? What is the risk or exposure? And is that risk or exposure worth the value or benefit? And if it is, do that. Because I always get people ask me, Eric, you're probably going to tell me we shouldn't do this, or I want to know if this is secure or not. And I go, it's never binary. Security is always, is the risk worth the trade-off? Is the risk worth the value or benefit? And to me, if we can get more executives to think that way, saying, okay, here's the value and benefit, here's the risk and exposure. I know this is a big risk, but I'm willing to accept it and own it, not the CISO, but me. So if something goes wrong, I have both the authority and the responsibility. That's how we start to switch and change this paradigm. And that's how we start to increase the security of organizations. Which totally makes sense now. I mean, you have to look at that. It's the knowledge and education that you're providing is going to make them change their mindset, change the, what they need to look at. And I think that's so important in this day and age for us to kind of have that I guess that focus, right? To look, keep looking, you know, how to evaluate not only just the business, but the business needs and looking at, you know, I you talked about this, the, the talk about in the CSSP, CIA, the confidentiality, data integrity, availability. And a lot of times you talk about the availability. Oh, it's accessible and you get it through your phone and it's remote and it's the cloud and you can do it all over the place. But it's like, well, how it's secure. We have, we don't know about security, but you can do everything. You can, you can voice command and you can do this and Siri and all that. But, Okay, but how, what's the security? Well, it has a little bit of security. Right? Okay, what about the data integrity and all that? Well, it has some data integrity. And I think we go through those challenges as security professionals is that we were looking at trying to balance that out because as an organization, as a CISO, you have to make it available. You have to make it accessible. You have to have the clients be able to do it. But how do you do that when you're still trying to balance out security? Exactly. And, and the two have to be integrated. And I always say that for some reason when we go to cyber, We've lost all common sense. Like when we when we teach our kids how to drive a car, security is a critical part of driving that car. None of us take our kids out to drive a car and we don't teach them about stop signs, red lights, looking both ways before you cross. I mean, that, that, that would be illogical. So ingrained into how you functionally move the motor vehicle, security is embedded into that to keep them safe. Right. However, with cyber, when we now go in and let them launch servers, we give them web browsers, we give them email clients, security isn't embedded in. So it's like we're now having business units and individuals and people driving cars that were never taught what is a red light, what is a stop sign, how to look both ways. And that's why we're having so many problems. So to me, we need to go back, whether it's with your kids, your family, your work, or professionals, and we need to integrate the security into the functionality, just like we're driving a car. Right. Here's the functionality. Here's the security. The two go hand in hand. You can't separate them out. Perfect. No, it's, that's so good. I mean, yeah, it's just one of the things that I think a lot of us security guys, that's our mindset, right? We, we live this day in and day out. So to have that. Now, I have a quick question for you, Dr. Cole. Uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? 
I have someone wants to kind of do your course, wants to learn more about you. So uh, in general, if you want to find out more about my company, secure-anchor.com, secure-anchor.com is our website. I'm also very active on social media. I put out free content on YouTube. I have a life of a CISO. So that's going to be Dr. D-R-E-R-I-C-C-O-L-E. So just look up Dr. Eric Cole on your social media and you'll find me. And then finally, I love talking with and staying in contact. So my email address is ecole, E-C-O-L-E, at secure-anchor.com. So if you're interested in anything I said or would like to just start a discussion, you can post to any of my social media. We monitor that. Or you can just email me directly. And they'll be able to find all that information on your website? Yes, they can. Perfect. I just put that here, guys, so you can guys see it. There's Secure Anchor, and you can see the website there. Check that out. Go see, you know, Dr. Cole. Check out his information. Now, Dr. Cole, if someone wants to get into the cybersecurity industry, where do they think? They, where would you recommend they start? Uh, my, my recommendation is get whatever entry level job you can. A sock, a knock. You just want to get experience. And the good news is, there's such a shortage of skills that a lot of the entry-level positions that used to require experience, they're not requiring experience anymore because they can't find enough people. So I know if you go back eight, nine years ago when I used to start up and set up socks, to get a job as a sock analyst, you had to have a degree, you had to have at least three years of experience working in a sock, monitoring a sock. You had to know how all the tools work. You had to learn all those different components. And there's no way with minimal to no experience in cybersecurity you can get a job. Today, almost all the sock analyst positions that I know of, they will train you. They will send you to the classes. They will go in. All you need to do is be smart be creative and have an open mind and, and they're willing to train you. Now, most of them will, if they're going to train you, are going to make you sign a one or two year commitment that if you leave before that, but you know something, you want to stay at a job. If you're getting into cybersecurity, you want to stay in the job for two years. So it's a sweet deal. So I would say, put yourself out there. Don't take no for an answer. If you ask three companies for a job and they say, you don't have experience, you don't have experience, you don't have experience, don't quit. Talk to me after you talk to a thousand. Because I guarantee if you put your name out there and apply to a thousand jobs, you will definitely get a job in cybersecurity. It might not happen the first five, but there will be the job out there. Be persistent. Do not quit. Believe in yourself. And there's so many opportunities out there. You'll be able to find one. So again, benchmark here is do contact a thousand companies, not five, not 10, but a thousand before you give up. And yeah. I think that's one thing that I, I, I also want to add to that. You got to have the mental fortitude to be in this industry. It's not like, oh, I got a job. I'm done. You know, I'm, that's it. This is an ongoing learning environment. Like you're always, you're a student of cybersecurity. I remember I told someone and we were out of a conversation and we're saying, okay, great. So are you an expert in cybersecurity? And I went, no. And they go, what do you mean? I'm a student of cybersecurity because what I know today changes tomorrow and the month later and that software and that application that solution i learned that i'm an expert in guess what it completely changed so now i have to go back through all the learning understanding it doing all that it never stops you're a student of this 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 career and if you have that mindset you'll succeed if you don't you're going to fail very very well said and just and just add to that real quick yeah. uh people are always shocked when i tell them that my business grew during covid but here's what they don't know before COVID, I would contact 10 companies twice 
and I would close two of them. Right. In June and July during COVID, I had to contact 200 companies. I had to reach out to them 30 times to close the same two. So I, I still got my two, but I had to work almost nine times as hard to do that. But guess what? I put in the work and I was still able to do that. But if I kept the same mindset with the same level of thinking during COVID saying, I'm going to contact 10 people and reach out to them twice, I probably would have shrunk or might not be in business because the model changed and you have to be persistent and believe in yourself and never, ever quit until you get yes. And I, I want to add that as a, I'm going to put my sales hat on here. <laughs> Provide value. Boom. Don't pitch. Don't sell. You have intellectual buyers now. They know a lot. They know a lot of information. Don't go in like the old, you know, vacuum sales guy. I'm gonna throw dirt in your carpet. Let me show you what the what the vacuum do and how it can clean up and how I can do that. And look how white your carpet is after that. They know all that. What can I do to help you? Do you have any questions about this? If you add value first. You'll build up rapport. You'll build up a relationship and they'll let you know what, what their challenges are, what they're going through, or just ask them, do you know about this? Are you aware of that? And I think this conversation has to be out there more and more to change the environment just because there's too many guys still pitching and selling. And what's happening is when you get that CISO or that executive on the phone, they're like, I don't want to talk to you. You're just like the other sales guy. It's like, ah, I'm not. But okay, I get it. You probably have 200 calls today, calls, emails that you're going through from sales guys that are doing it the wrong way. And I'm just trying to share, do it the right way. You'll get sales, you'll build up relationships, and they'll be long-term. Very well said, my friend. Very well said. Awesome, Dr. Cole. Thank you so much. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to finish off with? Any kind of golden nuggets, some tips? Now, just want to thank you for having me on the show and uh, hope the audience found some value and I look forward to hearing from them in the future. I'm going to talk on their behalf. I found value. <laughs> and I think what happens is the conversations that you're talking about is mindset with being a CISO, you know, doing all that, what's going on in the environment, how to really kind of think of the change of, you know, 2021 and what we need to be looking at. I think it's essential to keep having this conversation over and over again with experts like yourself to be able to really hit home and say, that's what I need to do. And I think it's a reminder constantly that people need to change the way they think, the way they do things, because now we're in a new environment. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show, Brandon. Awesome. Well, guys, I mean, that was another great episode of the Daily Cyber. Uh, again, Dr. Cole is an amazing resource. I'm going to share here again his website. Go check it out. Um, something that I recommend everyone go check out, especially when you're talking about VC. So uh, even being a CISO, one of the, one of the two roles that you're looking at, you know, in the 2021 connect with Dr. Cole, he really has a great mindset and insight of how people need to collaborate and work together with organizations. So it's amazing to be able to share just this experience of connecting with him and learning from him. So it's something that I highly recommend you check out his website. It's on the bottom here. I'm going to actually have it in the description notes as well. So check him out, go on his website, go on his social media, he provides a lot of great value and information. And guys, you know, I know it's a lot going on with the with the industry when it comes with pandemic, with the business, with people trying to think of what they need to do. Take a break over the holidays. Try to share some time with family and friends and really be out there. It's so important that we do and we connect. And I just want to say thank you so much for being part of the Daily Cyber. I'm going to have one more episode next week and just really kind of share how we can work at going forward to uh, 2021. So 
Don't forget, software is hackable, being connected is vulnerable. I'll see you next Daily Cyber.